This morning we're in Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26 in the Old Testament. First book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 26. Verses 24 to 25. And really the context and the text is uh, several verses even before that. But for the sake of time I will not read that and I'll allude to it as we go through a little bit. But Genesis chapter 26 verses 24 to 25. And I'm, I'm turning there. To, there we go. Genesis 26, 24 to 25. The Word of God, the Bible says this. It says, The Lord appeared to him, this is uh, Isaac, to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. And Isaac says, So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, And there Isaac's servants dug a well. And this is an interesting portion of scripture where Isaac is is going through the land and he's having some issues with the Philistines who are, as he's looking for a place to settle down and he digs up wells, the Philistines, because they see that God is blessing Isaac, are filling up his wells. Filling up his wells. Now, before I... I'm not going to say much about this except... This is an interesting uh, situation, and it has so much application to our lives. We go through life, this isn't the message, but this is the pre-message, all right? We can go through life. We have our relationship with Jesus, and then there are those people, whether they're our adversaries or whether they're even people that we know or we're close to, and we are enjoying, and God is giving us what we've got, and he's, we're digging, right? We dig for the wells. We dig for that relationship with Jesus, and we have it, and we go through life, and we have different portions of our life where it's drier, or we go through different seasons or terrains, if you will, spiritually in our lives, and we dig up these wells, and along comes somebody, and, and really the Philistines here, they're envying the prosperity or the blessing that Isaac and his, his whole camp is having. And they come along, not out of their envy and not out of their disdain, whatever attitudes they have. They go through, and think about this, they dug up these wells and water is everything in the wilderness. And they fill them all back in. They plug it up with sand and rocks and dirt, whatever it is, and they just fill it in, dirt, garbage. They fill it up so you can't have access to that supply of water which you need to thrive in the wilderness. You need water for life. You need it to go day to day, to to, to water your your flocks and and your sheep and your livestock, everything. And, And yourself, you need water to cook and to drink to survive. You need that water, and they fill it up. Have you ever experienced that in your life? I'm being serious. It's not, it's not a harsh thing. It's a reality because we may have been there. You may have been there. You might be there now. That you're, you're there and you're enjoying the blessing of God. You're still God's. It doesn't change that God is yours. It doesn't change that you have access to, to his blessing and his living water. As we know in the New Testament, I'll get to that in a little bit. You have that, but along comes somebody and it's like their intention just to block that up so you don't have access to that anymore and then you can't enjoy what God has given you. Oh, no, this isn't a sermon about me, myself, and I, and and just me always being blessed, and me just having whatever I want. It's what God has for you and what you do, but then somebody comes along, or a group of people come along, and they plug it all up. Start over again. Either because they're jealous, envious, or just 
angry, whatever it is, whatever the situation, I don't know the exact, but we can surmise, but, but this is a, there's an argument over these wells and whose they are and what's going on. And Isaac had rights to these wells. Read the context. I don't want to say too much. This is the pre-message to the message. But maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there now. Keep that in mind of what's going on and what's happening there. You see, Isaac was the son of a famous father. Do you think? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had... Anyway. And the father of a famous son, who was Jacob, right? And he eventually became Israel. His name was changed, right? An incredible... There's so much packed there as well. Thirteen chapters in Genesis are devoted to telling the story of Abraham. Thirteen. Then there are about ten chapters that are devoted to the story of Jacob in, the, in, the, in Genesis. Think about that. Out of all those chapters in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, 50-some chapters, and you have here you go, you have 13 that are about Abraham. And for good reason. Think about who he is. And it's the foundation of where even our faith is and what faith is all about and how we live our lives starts there, right? And carries on. And Paul spends time talking about him in Romans and how we have that same faith and that he's our father because of our faith. And there are major characters in this plot, if you will, right? This this. This history, this story that God is allowing to unfold in his plan. But Isaac's story, Isaac's story, you only find it in two chapters. Two chapters. That's not fair. I mean, Jacob gets 10, my dad gets 13. What's that all about, right? Chapter 24, right? And, it's, and, and then this 26th chapter of Genesis, Right? And, and in chapter 24, it's the account of Abraham, his father, finding him a wife, Rebekah. That's what's, that's what's in there. Regardless, or nevertheless, Isaac's life for sure is not any less significant. doesn't matter if it's two chapters or 10 or 13, right? He was the child, think about this, that Abraham waited how long for? A hundred years. Right? He was an old guy. Right? Old guy, the child of promise. And he was a miracle baby. He's conceived after Sarah had given up on all possibility of it still even happening. And Isaac was the one who carried on the line in the purposes of God. And on his deathbed, the Bible records, it was Isaac who lay his hands upon Jacob, unwittingly though it was, and set apart the future of Israel. He did that. And even down to this day, when you think about it, the Jews, they speak of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? He is listed among the champions of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament where it says, by faith he blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future, as I just mentioned. And that's what, that's what Isaac did. Isaac was the child of promise that Abraham, Abraham had endured in faith for. But being the son of Abraham was not, it was not the key to his spiritual success. In fact, it's not the key to any of your spiritual successes. 
being the son of somebody who was a hero of the faith or somebody who had great faith, whether it's your grandfather, grandmother, your great aunt or your mom or dad or your older brother, whoever it was, that is not the secret to your, to your spiritual success. It never was and it never can be. He carried on the line of God's plan, as I, met, as I mentioned, and he was used by God to set apart that next generation. But being the father of Jacob was not, as I mentioned, the key to success. Isaac himself lived a life of faith and carved out for himself, if you will, the place where God had predestined for him in history. God knew it all along. And this morning, I want to highlight three observations just from these verses that I read this morning that are critical for you, for me, for us to live out God's plan for us now, tomorrow, and into the future. It's absolutely important. Look at the first verse I read in verse 24. 25, I should say. I'm sorry, 24. So Isaac built an altar there. After all these squabbles and quarreling and after having your well built uh, 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 closed up and filled in again and being chased off and made to go somewhere else from the land with the Philistines and those around him, his enemies, adversaries. He says, the Bible says here that he built an altar there and he called upon the name of the Lord and he pitched his tent there and their Isaac's servant dug a well. The first thing that we see in this verse is that Isaac built an altar. He builds an altar. Really, really important. And the first altar that we read of in the Bible is that of erected by Noah. Well, there might have been some others, but the ones that recorded especially by Noah in chapter 8 and verse 20. Here, after, after the, uh, the flood and after God spares he and his family, there's an altar and there he worships God. Altars were erected by Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and in chapter 13 and in chapter 22. And there God seals his covenant with him even. They're erected by Jacob, and they're, they're, built, they're put up by Moses in Exodus chapter 17. There are altars in the tabernacle. There's an altar there. There's an altar, and afterwards, there's an altar in the temple, the permanent temple, Solomon's temple. The altar of burnt offering is there. Altars are nothing new, right? They're, they're places of worship, and it's simply a place to bring and make your sacrifice to God. And in this case... Isaac, just like his father, builds an altar, a place where he meets with God to worship. He's in transition. He's being chased out. He's gone through what he's gone through. And he's, he could be ripping mad, if you will, about the fact that he has rights to this land to have these wells, and they're taken from him, if you will. And he moves on, he carries on, and he digs again. But even before he digs, he starts off by building an altar. No matter where you are, no matter where you are in, 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 in your life, no matter where you are uh, moving even this year, even though it's the, the eighth day of 2023, right? But wherever you are, start by building an altar. Good, bad, ugly, happy, sad, whatever it is, wherever you are, start by building an altar and worship God. Thank him, like Samuel did at Mizpah, that this, to this place God has helped us. He's brought you here by his grace, by his mercy. No matter what things look around you, build an altar. It was a time of difficulty for Isaac. God blessed him in the land of the Philistines. 
that, that where he was living. And the Bible says in verse 13 in this same chapter that Isaac began to prosper. And he continued prospering until he became very prosperous. It's almost a tongue twister. I'm going to read it again because it's interesting. Isaac began to prosper and he continued prospering until he became very prosperous. It's pretty cool. That's God. That's, 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 that's all God and his calm plan on his life. And it says here, the Bible says, for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. They were jealous. They saw God's blessing and how God was with him. And the envious Philistines, as I mentioned, sorry for being repetitious, but they filled in all his wells. And their king, Abimelech, said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Why? Because it was God's presence and blessing on his life and on his camp and all his servants and livestock and everything he had. And he says, You are much mightier than we are. And so he began moving from place to place, encountering opposition and conflict, until finally he gets to Beersheba here, and he builds an altar. Now, here's something to think about. I don't know. I wasn't there. I can't pretend to be in Isaac's shoes in this situation. I don't know just how low and maybe how anxious Isaac was feeling at this point. Driven from the land that is mine, rightfully, and I have no water, and I need to get it soon. And I'm, 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 I'm trying to find a place to, to, to settle down because I've been driven out by my adversaries. And God appears to him, and God, in the night, God appears to him, and God spoke to him wonderful words of assurance and promise here. And he reiterated to Isaac the covenant that he made with his father Abraham. I am the God. God comes to him, reveals himself and says, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear. It's exactly what he needed to hear in that moment. Do not fear for I am with you. We sang about that today, by the way. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. Why does he mean his servant Abraham's sake? Because God made a covenant and God does not break covenants. What was Isaac's response to God's revelation. He builds an altar and he calls on the name of the Lord. What else can you do after God appears to you and reminds you of that and you're blown away by God's awesome presence? He builds an altar and he calls on the name of the Lord. See, an altar, there's something really important here I don't want you to miss. And this is that, one of the first, this is that first observation you've got to make is that an altar speaks of dedication. An altar speaks of dedication. An altar is a place where you are set apart for a special use. It's a place, it's, a, it's a, a thing that's built up where you are using it for something special, where you commit yourself or, or that altar itself to a particular course of thought or action. And in this case, it is to glorify God, to worship God, to sacrifice to God, and to give Him everything, if you will. More on that in a minute. Because you know what? I want you to think about something else. And I'm speaking to you especially if those of you who know the Bible and you've been Christians, even if you're not, you might know this story as well. Because Isaac, he knew all about altars, didn't he? 
Oh, see, I knew some of you would respond that way. He knew all about altars. Because the Bible records just a few chapters earlier in Genesis chapter 22 that when Isaac was just a boy, his father Abraham, at the word of God, and it, as crazy as it sounds to our human minds, but at the word of God, he took him up. He takes the little boy Isaac up to Mount Moriah and he lays him on an altar out of obedience to God. God was testing the dedication of Abraham. Would he obey? Was he dedicated? Was he committed to God? Would he do what God said? That's a crazy God that would tell you to do that. No, God's got a plan. God's got a plan and he knows what he's doing and he was proved in the end and as we know the end of the story. Would he be obedient? Can you imagine Isaac? He's got the wood on the back of that donkey or mule. They're going up and Isaac's going and he even asks, where is the sacrifice for the altar, for this offering? Where is it? God will provide. And all along God knows, uh, 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 his father knows that God is saying, you're putting your son on that altar. You're, that's what I want from you. But he still says by faith, God will provide. He builds that altar. He goes there and he's ready to give even his own son, even to the point of sacrificing him. And by bringing Isaac to the altar, Abraham proved his heart was dedicated to God. And at the last possible moment, God stops the knife, if you will. He does. Stop, Abraham. For I know, he says there, that you fear me. And since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. As we start this year, as you start this week, as you start this day, we're almost halfway through, but you, we're, we're in this day. Will you build an altar? That place that proves your dedication? Where you go to God and you worship him and you say, it's all yours, God. I'm laying it all down. The altar speaks of dedication. Possibly no one knew the cost of full dedication more than Isaac. So he built an altar there and he called on the name of the Lord. An altar is where you make your sacrifices to God. The Apostle Paul implores us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, and most of us can quote this almost just right off the top of our lips right away. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. God's way, not your way. All obedience, not partial obedience. Now, not later. God says through Paul, present yourself as a living sacrifice on that altar. What about you? What about me? Have you built an altar? Have you offered yourself as a sacrifice to God? Have you reaffirmed that dedication to the Lord recently? Like every day, hopefully. It needs to be done often in our lives. Because the distractions are too great around us. And there are too many adversaries that drive us away and fill up the wells in our lives. And we need to stop and build an altar before we move to the next couple observations we'll make in a second. The call of Romans 12.1 is for us to have lives characterized as living sacrifices to Him. 
Maybe you need to do what Elijah the prophet did in 1 Kings chapter 18. When the nation of Israel was living in idolatry, worshiping the Baals and the Asherah poles and doing everything that was antithetical to God's ways of true worship, Elijah challenged the false prophets to a contest on Mount Carmel to see which God was real. He called down fire from heaven and he demonstrated the power of the only true and living God. Well, God did. But he did through, through his faith and through his obedience to God and his commitment to God. But let me, question, let me ask you a question. What did he do before he prayed for the fire to fall? It says, the Bible records, that he rebuilt the altar of the Lord. He rebuilt it. Where is your altar? Is it in your prayer closet, which is a term we use, but maybe it's in the corner of your bedroom when no one's around. Maybe it's in an actual closet. Maybe it's somewhere else. Maybe it's outside in your backyard or on your deck in the morning. It's just you and God, and you're just reaching out to God. You've got your word in your hand, and your, your heart is poured out to Him, and you're, 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 you're dedicating yourself to Him. It's that place of sacrifice. You start the day with that sacrifice so that you can continue to sacrifice. It says that he rebuilt the altar. It was a neglected altar. The altar, the broken down altar, if you will. And Elijah took Israel back to the place where their dedication had been left behind. Back to the altar. And he rebuilt it for the fire to fall. And it did. Maybe you need to repair the broken altar in your life. Maybe. Maybe. Consecrate your heart to the, to the Lord afresh today. Make, make it all, refresh it today, if you will. The altar speaks of dedication and of sacrifice. Isaac built an altar. Second observation. Isaac pitched a tent. He pitched a tent. Isaac had heard the voice of the Lord in Beersheba. He'd met with God, the Bible says, and so he pitched his tent there. The people of God should always want to stay close to the presence and the direction of God, his voice. If God is speaking, that is where I want to be. That's where I want to be. Exodus 33, you remember this story with Moses. Most of us can remember this. Moses goes up to the Mount Sinai, he's going to get the Ten Commandments, and, and he's taking a long time with God, and the people get restless, Right? Because they want to see things. They want to feel things. They want to do something. They want something visible, tangible, material. We want that. Just like everybody else around us, all the nations and people. We want, we want to, we, we, we're sick of waiting. And so what do they do? They take all the gold and they make the golden calf. And they start worshiping and dancing. Worshiping this man-made object that can't speak to them. That can't hear them. And Moses comes down from the, from the, from the mountain and he is ripped. I'm not exaggerating. Read it in Exodus chapter 33, 32 and 33. He is is so angry because he sees what's going on and how this is spitting in the face of God and how they're disobeying God, doing their own things on their own terms and without Moses and without any authorization from Moses who has that connection with God and is their leader, right? And he comes down and he's upset. and And God says, listen, take these people, and I'm paraphrasing, and move on. Go forward with them. And Moses is like, what? Do you realize these people, what they just did, and you want me to lead them now and go with them? And God says, yes, I'm going to go. And Moses starts crying out and saying, like, 
Really? I, but listen, God, in 33, I will go, but I am not going to go if your presence does not go. You're telling me to go, but if you don't go after what happened and everything that happened, I will not go. Without your presence with us, it's impossible to be successful or to go anywhere or do anything. I will not move unless you go with me. I'm not going. And what does God say? I will go with you. My presence will be with you. He's, he made that promise. And Moses gets up, and of course, they move on eventually. But Moses says, I'm not going unless you go with us. Isaac pitched a tent, right? God's people were on the journey. They were always moving. They were up and down. The tabernacle, the portable house of worship, and they had their own tents. They were up, down, up, down, right? They were ready to move at a moment's notice. And, and Moses says, I'm not moving again until you tell us, and your presence is going with us. So listen, Isaac does what God's people had been doing. He wasn't so embedded and deep-rooted in one area that he couldn't hear God and say, okay, God, you said to go, I'll go. He pitched a tent. He didn't build a house. There is no house that is mentioned here. Instead, there is a tent. Because why? Notice this. This is the observation. He pitched a tent because a tent speaks of detachment. Detachment. At least that's what we think it speaks of, right? It's supposed to speak of that. It's temporary. It doesn't last forever. It doesn't, it's not long term, right? You set up a tent because it's going to eventually come down and you move on somewhere else. The reason Isaac was in Beersheba was because this was where God was speaking. God had brought him here. But if God's presence should move and lead him elsewhere, Isaac was ready to go. Here's another sign of his dedication. He built the altar and he sacrificed himself and everything he had to God and offered it and worshiped to him. It's all yours and I thank you. I belong to you, God. His house, quote unquote, was not some geographical location where all his possessions were established. His home was wherever God and his will were to be found. But I live on 150 Richmond Townhouse Road. Yeah, you do. For now. For now. It may have been 20 years. It may have been 10 years. But for now, that is not your permanent home. I think about Jesus, God's own son, who had no house to call his own while on earth. He didn't. It was all temporary, all for a greater purpose beyond the temporary stuff all around him. And as Christians, we are pilgrims passing through. Sounds like the first Peter mentions that as well in the first epistle and second epistle to the Christians. And in order to pass through, we must remain detached from this world and all that it holds dear. Or you're going to be stuck by it. You're going to be stuck in it. Jesus said in, in John's Gospel, chapter 18 and verse 36, that his kingdom is not of this world. It's not from here, and, it will, and he didn't intend to set it up here. Not physically, not in a temporal way. He didn't do that. It was an eternal thing. Our hearts belong to another kingdom. It doesn't belong to the kingdom of this world. I want to read something that blows my mind every time and share with you to reinforce this. The heroes of faith that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11 
are commended by God Himself through the author of Hebrews with these words. Listen to this in Hebrews 11. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. They were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. And I love this phrase. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. For He has prepared a city for them. Why is God not ashamed to be called their God? Because they're not stuck here. Their minds are there. They're thinking eternally. It's not temporal. It's not just here and now. They're not going so deep their roots that when God says move, they won't move. And in fact, some people nowadays, unfortunately, are, are so rooted in the things of this world and so many people who claim to follow Jesus that I, it's almost like, and please don't run with this, but I'm being sarcastic with this, but you know what? They are so deep-rooted in the things of this world that when Jesus comes with the rapture, they'll be so deep they won't even make it through the rapture. I know, it sounds crazy. The point is, they are so engrossed. They are so stuck. They are so planted here that they are not ready to hear God or go where God tells them, and they're just thinking only about temporal things. Isaac pitched a tent. He was ready to go whenever God said, you can go. We must, listen, you, no matter how hard you try, you cannot ultimately retain the things of this life. It's a reminder for us. They're passing away. The moths are eating at them. Time and rust are corroding them. There's no future in earthly stuff, man. I'm not saying something that the Bible has already declared. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of temporary here and now stuff. We must be detached from this world's pleasure. We have to be detached from this world's praise. It's another thing. It's a bad sign when the world praises us as followers of Christ. Now, if it praises us for things out of obedience that we've done to the Word of God, that's, that's one thing. But we, we, and actually, let me just fast forward because this is even more important. It's even worse if we start desiring the world's praise. That's bad. It shows where, where our attachment is. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world. Or the things in the world. Does that mean we don't love people? That has nothing to do with that. We love people. Does that mean we don't care about, about things that are right and, and living the right way to, with each other and towards others? Absolutely. That's a command. We, we do that. But we don't get caught up in the mindset, the philosophy, and the perspective of the world that is antithetical to all that is in the Word of God and by God Himself. Because He says that the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever and to know how to do the will of God means that you have to hear and listen for the will of God and if you're attached to the world and things that are temporary it's hard to hear the eternal purposes of God is that clear I think it's simple it, it, and I need that for me because we get so distracted because of the bodies we live in and the world we live in and the way things appear and look we have to remember we care because we live here but we're 
we're ultimately attached to the kingdom of God and eternal things. And lastly, last observation. He built an altar, he pitched a tent because he knew that he wasn't staying there forever. He was en route, just like we are. But thirdly, he digs a well. The altar speaks of dedication. The tent speaks of detachment. And the well speaks of dependence. Speaks of dependence. This is where it gets, not heavy, but a little bit, we have to be honest with ourselves when I go through a couple thoughts here and just really allow the Holy Spirit and and search our hearts for where we are at. If you're dependent on someone or something, it means that you are subordinate to them to, to take care of you and to supply what you need. There's trust and reliance, obviously, with dependence, 100%. That, goes, that come, kind of comes along with that, that concept and the word of, of dependence. And, but it also means that if we're dependent on somebody, that, that we're in this state of being determined, influenced, or controlled by something else. Right? If we're dependent on it. If I'm dependent on a, a person or a, you fill in the blank, that, it governs my life. Very, very often, it governs my life, right? We, we, I'll stand, I won't go off tangent, stay on track, Bob, all right? The well speaks of dependence. And it's so important to remember that. The Bible describes a person who reads and meditates upon the word of God this way in Psalm chapter 1 and verse 3, that that person will be, that man will be a tr- like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That doesn't mean you have a billion dollars in your account like Elon Musk, and then he loses $250 billion the next day. That's not what this is talking about. It is, again, you are so whole, and you're prospering in your soul, and you're, you're living life to the fullest. It's that abundant life that Jesus offers because you're meditating on the Word of God and you're, uh, you're close to Him and you're abiding in Him and you're in His presence and you're drawing from Him, right? And for Isaac, water in this well was a matter of life and death. It was a matter of, can I put it this way? It was a matter of digging or dying. You're going to dig or you die. He had to have water. You have to have water, not just physical. You have to have spiritual water. And in that Middle Eastern land, as I mentioned earlier, he had to have lots of it for his livestock and for his family. Isaac dug wells wherever he went. And and the same is true concerning God's word and his presence in our lives. Wherever we go, we ought to be digging wells so that we are tapping in to the springs of living water, those wells of living water. Yes, they're there. And and I'm not talking about working for it. He's already in us. But you've got to take your attention off the temporary. You've got to dedicate yourself with the altar in service and give yourself to God so that you can tap in. That's how you tap in. That's how you dig. That's how you dig deep until you hit water every single day and you are satisfied in your soul. And that source and that well itself is Jesus. Without Him and without the Word of God in His presence, we will die spiritually. The psalmists, many times throughout the psalms, wrote 
about their need for God's Spirit, His presence, and His Word. Their need, their desire for His Word, presence, and Spirit. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. Pants for you. I, it's, I, will, I want it so bad. I will do anything I need to. I'm looking. I want it. I'm desperate. I will go to great lengths. I, I have no choice. I will walk until I drop, but I'm walking until I get that water. You know what? That's a form of digging, if I can just make that connection. It's seeking out and doing whatever you need to do to get and to tap into that well of living water. When you're in the Word of God, when you're in prayer, when you're seeking Him, you're digging and you're connecting so that that spring gets sprung again. Because it has no end. But things happen in life, don't they? The wells get filled up with stuff or we allow the wells to get filled up with stuff or we try to go to another well More on that in a moment. How about Psalm 119? That psalm, that famous psalm, the longest psalm, longest chapter in the Bible, that psalm is all about the Word of God, along with His presence, but His Word, His law, His testimonies, right? And it says there that your Word is what? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Right? And your words, other psalms, are like honey. Right? They're sweet. I need them. That's what I want. I desire. I long for that. And Jesus himself, I'm jumping forward to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 4 and 4. He said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then in chapter 5, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For what happens when you hunger and thirst for that? You've got to wait your whole life. You gotta try the newest and latest, greatest fad and go to the greatest and best place so you can be fed spiritually. Then you'll get it then. No. He said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he says, For they will be satisfied. When? How about this? How about now? How about now? And, and why would you want to wait? Why, I mean, now, build an altar, right? Set up a tent, reestablish your perspective that, that it's eternal and not temporal, and then dig, seek God. Continue to seek Him, and you'll be amazed at what springs up. The well speaks of dependence. It was a matter of life and death. And Jesus said in John seven thirty seven, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. He was saying, I'm the well. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the Scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And he was talking about the Spirit. That's what John says, right? That He was speaking about the Spirit. For the child of God, for my life, for your life, it's dig or die. It's dig or die. We can't live without the Word of God or without His presence. You, you, can't, you cannot live. And my question this morning as we come to a close is simply this. Well, I have a lot of them. Where are you digging? Where are you digging? Only you know that. And you know what I'm talking about. Well, where are you digging? Do you really expect to find water where you're digging? How are you digging? 
What methods, what tools are you using to dig? Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it the Word of God? Is it wise counsel? Is it time with God alone, just getting in with Him? Or, or what, are you, what, what are you using to dig? What is your source? There's a very sobering word in Jeremiah that God gives to His people through the prophet. And he calls out God's people with two sins. Right off in the first couple, cha- the second chapter, I think it is, of, of, of Jeremiah. The two sins are this. The first one is, is that they forsook God. Wait a minute. God's the source, man. And they just, they, they abandoned and neglected him. I don't want you, God. And secondly, they dug their own wells. They dug their own wells. They're, and he says, they were wells that could not hold water. They were broken. They leaked. They couldn't contain the water. Not even It didn't stay in there at all once you put water in there. So my, my, my thought for you, and, or, or my, my, my encouragement for you and myself is this, is that stop digging in all the wrong places and with all the wrong tools, Bob. You know, we do that quicker than we think, and it happens very subtly. So, so be careful. Go back to the altar. Rebuild it. Reestablish your perspective. Dig. Go to Jesus, His Word, and draw from Him the living water that He offers. And just like Isaac and his wells, life can be unfair. Life's not fair. So often it's not. People And circumstances can hurt you and steal from you what is not rightfully theirs, if we can put it that way. And at that point, you have a choice. Isaac had a choice. You can look back at what has been lost, or you can look ahead in faith to God to provide again. A well speaks of dependence. Who or what are you depending on? What are your tools? Isaac built an altar. Isaac pitched a tent. And Isaac dug a well. Are you doing that in your life today? Have you done that today? On the spiritual landscape, we are, honestly, we are, or or should be moving every time that God tells us to. And that's, I'm not even talking physically, geographically, but spiritually. So we should do what Isaac did. We really should. Have you built an altar? Are you maintaining that altar? Daily renewing your dedication to the Lord, consecrating your heart to Him alone? Maybe it's in the back of your head, and you, God, you know that I belong to you, and I know I'm yours, and you just kind of get up and you carry on every day, and And it becomes out of mind, out of sight almost. Have you pitched a tent? In your heart of hearts, are you detached from the things that simply pass away or have no lasting significance? That's between you and God. And finally, have you dug a well? Are you dependent upon the word of God and his presence as your source for life itself? Are you continuing to dig 
for that water. As we close today, leave with this thought and these truths. Build an altar, pitch a tent, dig a well. And let's do that every single day. And when we do, we'll be blown away because God's going to bless us and he's already all got it. But if we, we've got to remain faithful with those things and God will bless us and prosper us in ways we never thought. And that's not just an empty statement or a promise or a false promise. I don't determine what that prosperity looks like. But when God prospers you, you'll know it and you'll want more of it. That's all I know. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you this day for your word. Father God, I pray that even as we close this service, Lord, these altars are always open. Um, symbolically here, these stairs at the front. But if anyone wants to come, Lord God, you know, I pray that, that you would speak to hearts and that people would just take a physical step forward and step with what might be happening in their hearts. That, Lord, they would build that altar. They would, in their minds, rededicate a place in, in their home or during the day, God, where they, they sacrifice themselves to you every day. And that they would, Lord, pitch a tent. They would, Lord Jesus, be detached. They would have a, a perspective and an attitude, God, that is eternal. And finally, Lord, that we would persevere in digging that well, that we would continue to seek your word. Even when it feels like we're not hitting water, you're still that source. Your word is, is, is going to spring up and just fill us to overflowing. And your spirit, Lord, will fill us. And God, I pray that we would be in prayer and in the word, God, and that, Lord Jesus, we would dig no matter what is happening around us or how we feel. Thank you, Lord, that you offer these things to us and that, Lord, uh, in you, we have uh, our life, our strength, our living, our, and, our, and, our, and our being. Lord, we move and exist because of you. We love you and thank you. We dedicate ourselves to you to be all the glory, God, as we go. May your light shine brightly through us to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.